truth is, I don't need to be looking at what's wrong with me. I need to be looking at what's right with Him and begin to live in that. And what's wrong with me then will take care of itself. And the problem is, is we try to push that off on other people. That, yeah, children. I hate to let you go because I want you to hear this, but y'all have fun down there. But if we'll just understand that we don't need to be afraid of why we don't measure up. Because he's already declared to us why we do measure up. Because Jesus paid the price. Think what a blessing it would be if we could just learn to live in that place that David declared even before it happened. And then I believe it was Peter that that reestablished that thing in the book of Acts. But that place where blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. That, that just causes a wrench in your spirit, don't it? That means that, means that Sammy don't have to pay for what she's done. Can't be so because I know I've got to pay for what I've done, so I've got to demand that she has to pay for what she's done. Blessed is the man to whom God will not impute sin. Why? Because he bore our sorrow and our sin. And he carried it outside the gate. And now in his house, he's not wanting you to look introspectively. He's wanting you to look at what he's doing and what it means to be part of the family of God and to live like that. And that's very hard for us as American Christians to do. Why? Because we've got so much invested in what we have determined as right and wrong. And we've exported it to the world that now we have to become as little children just starting to understand the things of this family. We have to become like that to even enter the kingdom. And we want to form our own little basilica and and stay there and say, say, it's here in this fortress that we serve God. And you can come across the drawbridge, but if you don't live like we think you should, we're going to pull up the bridge and feed you to the crocodiles. Overstated, maybe. But really not. Because we haven't understood how deeply, deeply saved we are. We're saved if we believe in Him. Saved from the consequences, delivered from the bondage, and healed from the results, that's salvation. And this morning my goal is to perhaps make you hungry. Because I'm going to be preaching out of numerous years of preaching and study. This morning, and I, I want to give you just a little bit of an insight into relationship with God that the church hasn't often allowed. And it's not because we don't see it, but when we see it, we pull back from it because we've got so much invested in what's been put out there before. And we have this thing 
of family and and uh, it bleeds over into church family that no matter how hard you try as a normal American family to not put your bad habits into your children, you'll put them there unless you change your own bad habits. And as churches, and we, we celebrate those things. When we see it start to produce in our children, we celebrate those things. Well, just one of the, just a chip off the old block. Those apples don't fall far from the tree. That's true. The Bible says it's true. And in church families, if we're not careful, we do the same thing. But we got so much invested in being Christ's family church that we don't realize that we need to lay aside some of those things and change our habits and change our expectations so that we can get to where God wants us to go and where he so lovingly leads us yet so adamantly stands and says, if you don't go my way, you don't go. Why? Because there's no other way to where he is. That's why he says that, that the soul that sins, it will die. That soul doesn't die because God said it. That soul dies because it sins. God said it because it's so. It doesn't become so because he said it. You see, there's a difference. Sometimes God's just making observations saying, come on now, this is the way, the path of righteousness. It leads unto life everlasting. This is the way. Come on, walk in it. Um, to do that, you've got to understand at least some concept of what it means to be so thoroughly saved that you realize that it's his spirit of adoption has been reaching to you forever. It's your spirit reaching back to him that's been lacking. That you see the sense and the marvel, the wonder of an almighty God that's willing to adopt you, but as long as you leave it hanging out there as him just being willing, you never sense that spirit of adoption. When you realize that I have to become willing that he's inviting me from this darkness into marvelous, marvelous light. I realize that and I begin to say, okay, I'm casting off all of those anchors that identify me from the past and I'm going to become identified by walking with him. Then you don't have to become mature in him at that moment to begin to be a son or a daughter in his kingdom. Uh, you begin right there. God spoke to me just, yes, he does talk to me. <laughs> God spoke to me just a few weeks ago and told me, I want you to begin to talk about being sons and daughters in the kingdom again, being children of God. And I, you know, I, I obviously knew that I needed to do it. So I started asking him, well, where do we go? And he, he said, well, you can teach it more fully now than you could when you first started teaching it. 1992, something like that. And I thought, yeah, you're right. You know what? When he speaks to you, you know he's right. <laughs> but you know, you have to observe his rightness before it begins to take hold in you. So some of this will be about that this morning, but I want to I talk about the expectation of living as a son or daughter, as a child of God. And some of it I'll use natural illustrations, such as 
my dad worked long, hard hours in the coal mine. He expected us to work long, hard hours at home because we were producing a life. And I'm so thankful that he did that, that both things. I'm thankful that he worked, and I'm thankful that he expected us to work. But he drove pickup trucks all my life, and one thing he always loved was these open exhaust. He just he, he drove a truck for a living, and he loved open exhaust. And until they started putting safety inspections in, he literally had an open exhaust all the way from the manifold to shooting fire out the back of his truck. Open exhaust. And one of the things he loved to do was coming down the long hill before he turned off to come up the road, the gravel road to our house, coming down that long hill. He loved to throw that old truck up into third gear and just let it, he called it letter beller coming down the hill. And we always knew he was coming home. And there, there are two reactions to that. One reaction was, oh man, I'm so glad he's coming home. I'm going to meet him right out there. The other right reaction was, oh no, mom's going to tell him what I've done today. <laughs> it was one or the other all the time because he was a good dad. But he was never dem a dem demonstrative man in words. Uh, I think I was probably, probably maybe... 30 plus years old before I ever heard dad say I love you. But I never doubted that he loved me. Didn't mark me much. I might still need counseling. I don't know. We'll figure that out. Try to take a whole team of counselors to straighten the worms in my mind out. Sammy was praying about that earlier. <laughs> but, and thank you. I remember that on those days when I had been living according to the plan of the household. It's usually about dark. I'd run out there and I'd be where he parked the truck. And he didn't say much. He'd just get out of the truck. I would grab his lunchbox. He'd throw his arm up over my shoulders and we'd walk to the house. Never say much of anything. Just being around him. You know, he's my dad. That is a natural picture. A weak one, but a natural picture of what we can have with our Father, with our Abba. If, I don't know, whatever term you use for one that's endeared to you. For him, he was my dad. But have you ever thought of God that way? You know, every day I knew that I was not perfect and I had not done the work in the manner that he would do the work and all of that, but it wasn't every day that I was in trouble. A lot of them, but not every day. But always trying to understand that right about dark it was time to have the chores done for sure because he was going to check on that. But to come in out of the fields and out of the woods and away from the ponds and be there because he was, his presence was going to be made known when that old truck went up into third gear and bellered coming down that hill. Now, a lot of times we pray, hear me now, we pray beyond the presence because we become so introspective in what we can do to please God that we think that 
if we do it this way, if we pray this amount of hours every day and we read the Bible this amount of time every day and we do this, this, and this, then at some magic moment in the future, not yet now because we haven't yet fulfilled the necessary price, but some moment in the future that he's going to manifest himself in such a way that we're all of a sudden going to go back in time to Azusa Street. And we're going to have this amazing thing that happens throughout the earth. I want to say something to you. There is an amazing thing happening throughout the earth. Do you realize that there's more Christians alive and living today on the earth than has died in all of the years past up to now? And it's because this thing's not dead. This thing is growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. People today are still being martyred for their faith because they're sons and daughters of God. They're not going to say different. You challenge them to say different, they'll die first. And I can tell you right now, I'm one of those. Dying's no big deal. We've not tried that yet. We'll see what happens. You know, the thing is that I'm a son of God. And I honestly don't spend a lot of time in introspection except at times. And I'll say this, that when, I, when I'm in the pastoral role and, and people start to leave the church, I get introspective. I, I go before God and I don't say, God, what's wrong with him? I say, God, is there something wrong with me? I don't start looking and trying to figure out what's wrong. I just say, God, is there something wrong that we need to change? And I put myself before him and say, if there is, God, I, you know I'll fix it. I'll go to them and and do what I need to do. I'll get before the church and do what I need to do. There's that time of introspection, and that's probably never going to cease because I feel greatly the responsibility of leading a group of people. It's a heavy thing because I know that one day I will stand before him and give answer. So in that case... I'm kind of introspective from time to time, but I'm not introspective about everyday life because I walk with him and I talk with him. And I have that sense of his presence. Now, to get in and, and develop this, I want to talk about some words to start out. I want to, I want to talk about darkness. I don't think we've talked enough about darkness and light and glory and things like that. And I want, I want to develop some of your thinking. That a lot of times when we talk, talk about coming out of darkness into a marvelous light, we think about physical darkness and physical light. And there is some element of that, but that's a very shallow definition of the words that's used. When you look throughout the Bible in the way the word darkness is used, both in the Hebrew and Greek, and you look at, at the uh, definitions from those languages, it briefly mentions the absence of light. But here's what it mentions most often is obscurity, falsehood, ignorance. In other words, darkness is an absence of light, but not luminaries, but an absence of light, a distinct difference made in Genesis chapter 1. First, it says, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was still yet some days before he created the luminaries. In other words, he was saying, let's expose the possibilities of creation. 
Let's show the truth that if my word touches and goes forth, that something begins to happen. Let's show this this thing and light literally literally as it's used it does have some elements of the luminary but what it actually means is elements of enlightenment illumination of the mind happiness cheerfulness God created all of that first and then he created the luminaries the sun the moon the stars now think of that are the sun the moon and the stars light because they have light? Or do they reflect the light that's in God's creation? I think it's very apparent that they reflect the light that's in God's creation. If you don't believe that, look how... No, don't look so much at how the sun affects our creation, but how our creation affects the sun. How... Through the process of creation being creation, the cycles of the moon are established. Or by the cycles of the moon, those things are established. I don't know which, but it could be either. But look at it in the sense of God brought light to his creation first. And somewhere in all of that, he brought order. And out of the order came the sun, moon, and stars. Challenging way of thinking, huh? So, the Bible talks of a land of darkness. A land of obscurity, falsehood, ignorance. Sometimes we live in that land, don't we? And sometimes it's more than just the national ignorance, obscurity, and lack of light. Sometimes it's our personal ignorance, obscurity. And when I say ignorance, I'm not talking about absence of intelligence. I'm talking about absence of information, absence of knowledge, absence of what it takes to function. And we live in that, and we, we lay claim to it, saying, I'll never figure that out. <coughs> I'm guilty of that where technology is concerned. And I'll probably be guilty of that the rest of my life because some things you want to figure out, some things you don't. I don't much want to, so I probably will never completely figure it out. Why? Because Leslie's figured it out. Chelsea's figured it out. They love it. I don't. I'll use their knowledge. That's relationship. Isn't that true? You know, people say, well, you're using my friendship. Yes, we do use your friendship, and you should use mine. It's the way it is. It, it's part of being relational. But it talks about land of darkness. The 23rd Psalm puts it this way, the valley of the shadow of death. It's the same word. And it, it works out that it's, it's talking about a contortion of the soul and, and a place that the soul, the mind, the will, the emotion is so disconnected with the life of God that it begins to be dark and then uh, totally separated and the life of God shows no more and the New Testament refers to that as outer darkness where the light of God never shines. But in this valley of the shadow of death, in this land of darkness, there's a light that shines. And one of the writers in the gospel says it's like a light set on a hill. It can't be hid. Talking about the church. Talking about the city of the redeemed. The city of the living God. 
It's talking about everybody in the church becoming a luminary in their own right, in their own knowledge of who they are in God, and beginning to shine forth into the world and becoming something that just can't be hid. And people begin to peel off like flies because in that suddenly they have a responsibility. It's not all right to just sit there anymore. It's not all right to put the responsibility over on a, uh, a career leader anymore, whatever. It's not all right to do that anymore because suddenly they have a responsibility. Now let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2, 3, and the first part of verse 6. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Now notice that before I go on. We're talking about the light of Christ. This is one of those messianic prophecies. The light of Christ that will come to the, war, to the world. But then it goes on and says that there are going to be lights, smaller lights, in all the darkness of the world. All of the darkness of the world. Into the darkness there's going to be some light shining. Even with those who live in a dark, dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of the harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father. Now, is that, okay, there's where we need to stop on that one. I was looking for another one. We'll get to that in a minute. Let this sink in on you. For a child will be born and a son will be given. Yes, it's talking about Christ, but everything that talks about Christ also reflects the church. Because if you follow it through in the New Testament, it does identify Jesus as the Christ, but then it begins to identify the church as representing Christ, as being the presence of Christ, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, and the earth. Now think of your responsibility. Is your light shining or are you running, hiding, and shifting blame? Are you running... Hey, no, no, I don't know. I, I don't think I believe there's a God. Come on. You know better than that. And even, even the infidels and, and those that call themselves absolutely godless, they know there's a God. They're just trying to prepare an argument for when they stand before Him. And guess what? It's not going to work. And by the way, they don't know what to say when you face them with such comments and such ignorance as I just displayed. They have a very sophisticated idea of why they don't believe in God. Then why make the argument if you don't believe in God? <laughs> what is there to argue about? There's not a God. You notice God never tries to prove that he is. He says you've got to believe that he is. But he doesn't try to say, now this is why you've got to believe it. He just says... Anybody that's got a mind and thinks it through, they'll know there's a God. And that's kind of where I stand. Look at Isaiah 8:18. 8, 
Behold, I, Christ, and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion or dwells in the city of the redeemed, interchangeable in the church. Behold, I and the children that you've given me were there for wonders. Now, wonders. It's just what you would think it would be. It does speak of the redeemed, which is to have your worthiness reestablished. That's what redeemed is all about. Deemed is to be worthy. Redeemed is to be redeemed. That's reestablished in your worthiness before God. Now, there's two kinds of wonders that happen in face of the statement that God has made. One of the wonders is that people will set themselves against it and say, no, God is no longer involved with men. That's a wonder. It's expressed kind of that way through the Bible where that word is used in different places where it seems to be a wonder to God that Israel would would not submit and just be what he had determined that they could be. But then there's that other wonder where we begin to realize that we're empowered by God and that we're given the power and the ability and the authority to walk with Him day by day. And you don't have to wait until some magical moment of, of maturity yet to be identified before you can walk in the power of God. But as you walk with Him day by day, knowing that He's there and knowing that His presence is with you and among you, as you walk with Him, there'll be wonders. Things will begin to happen. People's lives will begin to be changed. The, the there's, there's uh, different habits that will begin to fall away and, and different character traits that will no longer be yours. And I was going through just recently uh, in my own mind some of the, the character traits that has developed in my own family through the years and realized that some of those I do demonstrate, but most of them I don't anymore. The ones that are applicable to to solid Christianity. They're still there. The others, it's just not me. Because I'm a new creation. I, I, I was brought forth, as the psalmist said, from the womb of dawn. I was brought forth from the darkness into this wonder of light. And with the same kind of confusion and shaking your head to clear it that a newborn has. A newborn often expresses it with yelling and screaming. But you breathe air that you haven't breathed before. You, you begin to realize things you hadn't realized before. You meet family you hadn't met before. You begin to be introduced to a way of life that you have no knowledge of but it's so real that you're different, you're changed. You'll never be that one that was in darkness again because light began to shine in your darkness. Now, light is just one facet of the glory of God. There are many facets to the glory of God. And I'll again try to give you just a little bit of an illustration of the glory. At the very root of the word glory is always approval. Always. That that's translated from Hebrew and that that's translated from Greek. There always is that element of approval. 
And look at it this way. Think of, I've been watching it. I don't know if those of you have been watching it on Facebook, but Doug Craigbaum's granddaughters are born premature, the twins. They're, they're, uh, their dad's been posting pictures of them. And I've been watching the faces of Katie and, and what was it, Jonathan? Is that the dad's name? Anyway, I've been watching their faces as they handle, are now being allowed to handle these babies. And, and there's just a, they're just beaming. That these babies are gaining weight. They're starting to take hold. They're, they're starting to have life. And the mom and dad's face is just shining as they look at these babies. That's glory. And everything that might bring itself out of the name, out of the character, out of the, out of the power, out of the authority that is in God begins to beam forth toward you because He approves of you covered by the blood of Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation coming from God toward you if you are in this way in Christ Jesus if you walk according to the flesh and not or according to the spirit and not according to the flesh there is there is there's now nothing imputed to you as of the sin of your past that's not imputed to you now why because You've got the hand of God and you're walking with Him and you're talking with Him and you're becoming something. And so light, that illumination of the creation, is part of God's glory. It's, it's part of Him just being there. Now, there's a lot of things that happened in translation. And I, w I want you to understand right off the bat that the first translation of the Bible from the original manuscript into English came before the illumination of uh, salvation by faith. Most of the illumination that we live in, that translation came before that. That's kind of impactive, isn't it? When you think about it. So understand that when they translated the first chapter of Genesis. And they began to talk about the things that were there in that garden. That they didn't have the understanding that we have now. And all people, especially the, the fundamental legalist types, they hate that. That we might have more illumination than the translators had. But folks, if we don't, we're doing something wrong. Because we pass from glory unto glory, and we move from light unto light until we move forth into glorious day. We, we have this walk with God. So when it was translated that God came in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, and that was the only time he was there, that's really not what the original says. The original indicates that time that the wind was blowing. Now, the reason it's translated like it was is because with their understanding, they knew that as the sun went down, often and their atmospheric changes, and the breeze begins to blow. But it's also a reference to, he breathed forth the wind of life, the breath of life, and Adam became a, became a living soul. And in that time while the wind was blowing... They walked with God. 
They walked with God. In in that time before they decided to step away from from the responsibility of hearing Him all the time and begin to want to live in the knowledge of their own ability and their their own way, they began to want to do that and they stepped away from the life of God until that time they just walked in the breath of God. Now God wants to reconnect us. If you look at that, you'll see what we lost in the garden that was so dramatic. We lost that direct connection with the breath, the wind of God. We lost it. Through Christ we regain it. And through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, now it's not about sinless perfection. It's about always choosing God in every situation and walking with Him. And we walk as sons and daughters of the light as we go. Why? Because He walks with us. He talks with us. He's available to us. How does He do that? I don't know. I'm not God. John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right or the power to become children of God, even those who believe in His name. As many as received Him, the Greek word lambano means that I can offer Sai a gift, and if He just sits there, He's never going to benefit from it, but if He'll reach and take it, then he can have everything that gives off gift offers. As many as understand that God is offering to walk with you and talk with you, he gives you the right to become a child in his household and to learn the ways and to learn that part of you that is him and that part of you that's not him and learn how to move all that aside and walk with him more and more until it becomes perfect day, brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. It's not that I have to keep all these rules until I finally grow, until I'm mature enough to release the power of God. I'm walking with the owner of the power. He empowers me day by day, and I can release it into everything I have. But guess what? To do that, I have to quit running, hiding, and shifting blame. Some people hide in their own home. Hmm. Well... This is just the way of life for sons and daughters. As you embrace the pursuit of him in context of the family, the household, or the redeemed, this is just the way of life. Now, when I look at you and the enemy, now remember, he's the accuser of the brethren. We know who he is. When I look at you and that accusation comes up in my mind, I need to immediately remember that blessed is the man or woman to whom God will no longer impute sin. Oh, no, we can't do that. Yeah, we can. And we should. And walk with Him. And walk with them. And to realize that no matter what the accumulation of accusations that I have, I need to let Him cut those off. And walk with them in the freshness of one that knows God. If they will allow it. If they don't allow it, it's them that walks away, not us. Now, Luke chapter 17, verses 9 and 10. This may seem like a departure, but it's not. I want you to get this. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we're unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. Now get this picture. I didn't want to read the whole thing. Been out working in the field. The master's been overseeing it. They come in to eat. And Jesus says, Now the one that has done the work 
does not sit down and say to the master, now feed me. He first makes sure the master is seated and the master has what he needs. And then he eats. And I'm so afraid across this nation that we have become guilty of coming to the weekly meeting expecting God to serve us because we've been so faithful through the week. We've witnessed to so many people. We've met the needs of so many that we're needing. And now we come here dragging in and expect to be seated and for God to serve us. It's not the way it works. When we come into this house, we need to come in with the idea that I'm going to give to my master that which he deserves. I look at the blessing of the week. Yeah, there's been challenges. There's, there's been all kinds of things. There's, there's been times, and inevitably there will be times of introspection. I need to lay those aside. But I need to look and realize that he has been such a blessing. And I come here and I begin to offer him that blessing. Here's what I want to challenge you to do and perhaps hopefully make you hungry for. Is to never miss it when he manifests himself. Never miss it when he manifests himself. I heard a man giving an illustration, and I know this man is truthful, so this is real. But he had been doing a conference, and the glory and the presence of God had been so real. And at the end, they went out to a nice restaurant and were sitting talking about it, and there was some really soothing classical music playing in the background. As they talked about the things that God had done in the last three days, they just became so aware of his presence. And over the speakers throughout that whole restaurant, it began to play, Hallelujah, 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 Praise ye the Lord. Just seemed like out of nowhere. And they immediately began to acknowledge his manifest presence and worship him. And then the music shifted back to just normal, soothing tones. Folks, we need to learn to live recognizing that yes, we have this presence. It's with us all the time. But there's some times, as you see in Revelation, where he walks among the churches. And sometimes he points things out, and sometimes there's just that intensity of presence. Worship team, if you'll come by. There's that, there's that intensity that began to happen. And that's more than just the general light. That's the light beginning to shine on our darkness. Whether, whether it's health, whether it's, it's uh, agitation of the mind, whether it's something we've previously been ignorant of, whatever, we, just, we, we miss it because we push by it to get the rote and the ritual of our service done. And in that, we begin to worship worship. We begin to worship ministry and to worship the Word. And we forget that it's Him. I'm telling you, the presence that we have in this house is unusual. And that presence will, will do, it'll cause one of two things. Either people will begin to 
sometimes nervously, but really having wanted it, they'll begin to draw it to themselves. Others will begin to run from it. Why? Because there's a responsibility in that presence. There's something about an encounter of Almighty God. I remember years ago that there were meetings that were, I'm talking about really, really, really intense. And we were praying at one point in Linton, North Dakota, over, over some people. And two things happened in that meeting. And people started to fall out under the power of God. And I just randomly called for a man out of the congregation that he had been faithful and so forth. And I said, come up and help these people. They're, they're falling on each other and falling everywhere. Help them. And he did, but we never saw him again. There was something about that presence. He, he couldn't take it. He was gone. And there's another thing happened. There's a young lady that wasn't, she wasn't sure that she believed it. She, she had come out of a nominal background and was tentatively coming into this thing. And I was moving down a, a row of people, praying for people. People were being mightily tuck, touched. And I was probably as far, at least as far from here to where Sai is from her. And God told me, look at her. He, he named her name. I won't do that. I looked at her. And when I looked at her, she launched sideways like this. And scooted along the floor, her hand crashing into the wall. And she stood there and stayed there in that position for about 30 minutes. And I'd never seen anything like that. Still haven't seen it to this day again. But when she got up, she's a changed woman. Things were different. Not at the hand of any man. But suddenly, in the presence of God, something happened. And I'm telling you, that if we're not careful, we'll go right by that presence and think we know all of the things he's going to do out of the general presence, the general uh, atmosphere, and forget that sometimes he shows up just to love on you. Don't forget the story of Mary and Martha. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha and working, and, and she wanted Jesus to rebuke Mary. And, and Jesus said, well, Martha, Mary has chosen the better part, that she's sitting here and just acknowledging that I'm here and acknowledging this. Now, can't you just hear? I, I've heard Martha echoed through the years, well, somebody's got to do the work. And that spirit prevails a lot of times when, when sometimes we just need to sit in his presence. And I'm telling you, God taught me that several years ago, that sometimes I need to be quiet. And that's often every day. I'm not asking Him to say anything. All I do when I enter into that is, God, here I am. just so aware of You. God, I, I don't want to pray for anybody. I don't want to ask for anything. You're just God. And I can tell you those times have changed me. Yeah, I could, oh, I feel the presence, sha-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. And sometimes I do that because that's what to do. I don't know how to pray for things as I ought, so I move into that, that uh, response to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and begin to pray in an unknown tongue as the Spirit of God gives utterance and know that the Spirit Himself makes intercession for me. And I don't have to know. I just have to do. Sometimes I do that. But there's other times I know that even to open my mouth would be violating that presence. And like my dad years ago, it's like you, you just feel his arm around you and you just, you're communing in a way that's not verbal. You just 
getting what you need from him. And that's, I'm, sometimes I think that's what Jude was talking about when he says you're building yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. It's, it's, it's communicating, not saying anything. And I would submit to you the most powerful praying you'll ever do is silently contending to know him. Now, people won't be comfortable when you minister like that. A lot of people aren't comfortable when you minister like this. But I'm telling you, in my opinion, it's all I've got left because I'm done with that religious thing. I just want to know him. Now, as the worship team begins to sing that in the background, I want you to respond to the Spirit of God right now. Give Him opportunity. You see, the word blessed has an indication of Him coming to our level and beginning to give of Himself and to show us His way of life. And it's in those moments of His presence that you begin to realize not only has He blessed me, but I can bless Him. I can rise to His level, and His level is right here. And I can walk with Him, and I can talk with Him. And when there's something to do, He'll tell me. But right now, I'm just His son. Right now, I'm just His daughter. Right now, I'm exercising my right to reach and to take that which He's given me. And that's Him. He's given me Himself above all things. Let him touch you this morning. It's not just a presence, a feeling. It's his presence. Now in this presence, There's a spirit of adoption that's going through this place where he's offering to take you into his family, into his household. And what he needs is a response from you saying, you're my father, you're my, you're my, you're my Abba, you're my daddy. You're offering to be something I never dreamed could happen. No, don't let your mind go to, if I do this, I can't drink, I can't. But don't do that. It's not about what you can't do. It's what you can do. You can come into the presence of God and be affected by Him and learn His ways. You can do that. If you're here this morning and you've never seen it this way before, but you want to be a part of the family of God, just tell Him that. Lord, I accept that. You're drawing me from darkness, from that place of ignorance and obscurity into a place of happiness and joy and righteousness and peace. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done. Here in my heart as in heaven.